Thanks for listening to the All About Reality Pod. And before you smash that skip ahead button, let me tell you about Breaking Tea and a sweet discount for our listeners. Breaking Tea makes cool, timely, comfy t-shirts and stuff for sports fans. If Pat Mahomes hits on a play called Jet Chip Wasp to win the Super Bowl, they've got a great-looking Jet Chip Wasp shirt the next day. If Max Muncy tells Madison Bumgarner to go get it out of the ocean, same thing. If Megan Rapinoe breaks off the are-you-not-entertained pose in the World Cup, well, you get the point. So check out the site, BreakingTea.com, and use code REALITY15 for 15% off at checkout. It'll help the pod, it'll help Breaking Tea, and it'll help you get a new favorite shirt for you or someone you love. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, the summer of Rotoviz continues on the All About Reality podcast. One of the original authors that drew me to different positions than I was originally willing to consider in fantasy football, Sean Siegel is here, someone I've long admired, his writing long been confounded by your writing, Sean, and someone who I, I, I've wrestled with a number of times in my head. And so hopefully um, some of those conversations can happen now in person with the man, the myth, the legend in front of us. Welcome to the program, Sean. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. And it's, it's always exciting to get on and talk about uh, some auctions and contract formats because, you know, sometimes they, they get lost a little bit. That's the most fun way to play fantasy. Uh, I like what you're saying here. Goody, welcome, man. Like, how are you feeling, bud? Feel, feeling good. I mean, we only have a few short weeks with in, into the season. And, you know, I think Hard Knocks got some people thirsty last night. I think I, I heard on, on a recent podcast, Sean, you're, you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So you got to be on cloud, cloud nine as the defending Super Bowl champions and Mahomes with that big contract, which, you know, we expect our GMs to be paying top dollar for him. You know, a lot of folks got hit. The lucky ones got him in, the, in a second round deal, so they're paying him about $2 million a year, and they don't get any ownership in the Kansas City Royals at the same time. So, like, I, I mean, I, we expect big, big extension numbers to, to be happening this season for, for Mahomes. And as somebody who kind of channels more of a dynasty guy, potentially, as, as opposed to like where we're operating in two to four year contracts most of the time, I think someone like Mahomes, you price him ahead of the market you know, you're, you're gold for a long time. So especially in Superflex. So yeah, we're thrilled to have you um, on as, you know, our, our latest Rotoviz guest. You do awesome work there. So Luke, I'm going to kick it over to you. We'll get this thing started. Yeah. So Sean, I wasn't joking when I said for a long time, I mean, your name certainly rose to prominence. We'll get it right out of the way, right off the bat in 2020. You're a man who is synonymous with the idea of not drafting an RB early in uh, fantasy football. And that is a take that I've never been able to to execute well. I've tried it multiple times and never succeeded in my attempts to do so. So right off the bat, I want to ask, is that a position that you find yourself more or less lonely in in 2020? Is that is that, Do you find yourself with the troops rallied around you? Or it seems like this offseason, there's, there's plenty of people that are going to give it to you if you try to make that argument too. It's been interesting, I think. In, in a lot of ways, 2020 is a very fun time. We're sort of over, I think, the controversial uh, time period in that 2015, 2016, 2017, and people have learned to take the value from it that they find. And if they don't like it, you know, they're not as worried about it anymore. That being said, even with how early running backs are being drafted, and they're definitely being drafted earlier than ever, we're seeing sort of an outpouring of enthusiasm for a zero running back. And certainly there are lots of guys out there who are very enthusiastic about it right now. We've had some cool stuff on the site. Jack Miller has 
a great article up about how 2020 could be sort of a perfect storm season for zero running back, the sort of advanced stats and the different industry trends or fantasy trends, scoring trends that he cites in that article, I think a pretty powerful argument for it. And then, you know, we've got lots of, of guys on the site who do great work with zero running back, Blair Andrews, for example, one of the you know best disciples and uh, sort of mouthpieces for that. And then there are just guys all over. We're on the, the ship chasing pod the other day talking with Pat and Pete and those guys go as you're running back in a lot of their high stakes drafts and and get into some you know sort of interesting conversations in the chats people going after them and then their teams end up doing extremely well we've got an apex draft going on right now where Mike Brody and Denny Carter went so you're running back with their teams and their teams just look absolutely awesome so yeah Running backs going very early at the same time. I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for zero running back out there. And, and that's fun, I think, to see people approaching it different ways. Fantasy is not as exciting or not as much fun if everybody's doing the exact same thing. That's so true. I mean, you alluded to Denny Carter, not this Scott Fishbowl, but the last one. He and I were in a division, and it was the one where he ended up taking, I think, Adrian Peterson as his first overall running back after just loading up. And it was just... A funny, it made for a funny moment in the group chat, of course. It made for good theater. But what I've found interesting about you is I've never found you very hot takey. As you say, I find myself, when I'm trying to argue in my head against waiting on running back, uh, you, you have like an elusive quality to your writing in that you're supplying stats, you're supplying the an analysis behind it, you're giving like the groundwork, whether it be through concepts of fragility or scoring trends, as you say, so I feel like I'm just kind of wild swinging. I'm taking the big, like, the big, but what about swings with Derrick Henry or something of that nature. So, Sean, can you walk us through a little bit for those who haven't read your seminal article or aren't familiar with it? On a season like this one, in a draft where everybody else is going running back heavy, who's the, the kind of last running back you'd feel comfortable in that running back one slot? Or is that not how the concept works in general? Is that a poor way of approaching it as, as, as a player? It depends. I think it depends a little bit on the season. I think that this year, especially, we do have those guys where when you're looking at the beginning of your draft, it's very tempting to take them. One of the cool things that we have on the site with um, our, our best ball tools is a roster construction explorer, which lets you look at the ways you can put entire teams together and how uh, different combinations of players work. And there are lots of just crazy things you can learn from playing around with this tool. And one of them is sort of the power of wide receivers when you have enough of them. Another one is actually how destructive having a lot of running backs is because you're actually seeding your team with landmines. You're drafting a lot of downside into your roster. But at the same time, one of the things that you do find is that if you can hit one of those big time running backs in the first round, then that is sort of accomplishes both things where we have that upside that we want from a league winning type of running back a Christian McCaffrey, a Saquon Barkley. And then as long as we go very wide receiver heavy from that point, then you, you sort of get the best of both worlds. And looking at it and looking at the running back profiles that we have for 2020, I really like those top five guys. So, you know, if I'm in a slot where I can get one of them, I'll go ahead and do that and then go very wide receiver heavy from that point on. If I'm in the second half of the draft, I'm pretty concerned about those players. Now, Miles Sanders is someone who I think could make the big leap and join that group. So if you're in the second half of the first round, then maybe he's a guy you would take there. Otherwise, I think that's where you really want to start going zero running back and not chasing those running back points. That's excellent. I would assume teams with players such as Melvin Gordon, James Conner, David Johnson, 
those names rarely make their way to a Sean Siegel roster. Am I wrong on that? No, you're not. They, in one of the drafts I'm in right now, it's a very kind of strange dynamic in terms of what happened where because uh, this industry expert draft, you know, a lot of guys who understand not only the importance of getting that top running back, first on it's very running back heavy, but then rounds two, three, four, very wide receiver heavy. And, you know, both Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley fell to me at the four or five turn. And I went ahead and selected those guys, even though I think there is a ton of downside risk. We're clearly looking at guys who would appear to be in, in decline, and that decline could really accelerate this season. And so again, you're, you're adding landmines to your roster at the same time. I guess I would have both of those guys ranked quite a bit before where they're actually going because of what we've seen from their, them in the past, that sort of hybrid run pass profile. The fact that if they're actually not as diminished as people think, they've shown in the past what they can do in terms of workload and their current situation is fantastic for a very high workload. So if I'm going to deviate from, in that situation, I, I had intended to do a single elite running back draft. I had the good fortune to have Christian McCaffrey and then plan to take you know six or seven wide receivers. But when those guys fell, I thought, well, I'll take them and then I'll take a bunch of receivers after that. So I try not to be so you know caught up in the dogma or caught up in the branding that when opportunities present themselves, you know, I can't, you know, move and, and, and try some different things, keep experimenting, keep thinking, you know, we get caught too much in one track and, we, you know, we start to get worse at things. And so there will be some situations like that. But yeah, those guys that you mentioned, and certainly in that round two, three, four area, I have a lot of trouble with most of the running backs there. Now, Goody, you, you and Sean can probably have a good conversation based on that situation. He's a veteran of the 14-team RSO Rotoviz League, so he understands how to build these contract rosters. You also have the good fortune of Christian McCaffrey in a couple places, and now you're going to chase, and I've seen in, in the, our, our initial drafts this year, you're doing a good job chasing kind of explosive wide receivers along the way. So why don't you talk for a moment about that, about what you're looking for as you build beyond Christian McCaffrey and whether or not that dovetails with Sean's philosophy? Right. I, I mean, I think in that when you have Christian McCaffrey as an anchor who's, who's still on a rookie deal and has like a fifth year option that's below market, you know, and, and in, in this writer's league, in that case, I'm having paired with Aaron Jones. We added a flex position this year. I felt like receiver was my weakness. I, I paid a lot of money for Allen Robinson, like four years, 107 million just on, I, I think on vo basically on chasing target volume. And I, I just think he's an underrated receiver to pair with my like Keenan Allen. I have DJ Chark on a super cheap, I, you know, I hit on him on a third round rookie deals. I think that fine foundationally like McCaffrey's a guy, but I, I actually want to want to pivot with you a little bit, Sean. And I, I guess there's two questions. One, is there such thing as like a, a modified zero running back strategy? Um, like for instance, in, in Scott Fishbowl League, I, I was picking out of the seven spot. I'm in a division with Matthew Barry and, you know, it's like half analyst. And I ended up with super flex scoring and being in a league that has similar scoring to that, just luckily. I, I took Dak Prescott with my first pick, just think, you know, Joe Mixon was on the board, Miles Sanders was on the board, Aaron Jones was on the board and and I, I just felt like coming back to me I would get a, a running back that I was happy with that had upside in that scoring format so I got Nick Chubb coming back on the turn and then decided like to beat the quarterback run and get Aaron Rodgers in the third round then and, and then I just started hammering wide receiver for three rounds in a row or something OBJ Allen Robinson 
And then I think in the sixth round or sixth or seventh round, I picked J.K. Dobbins just on chasing upside. And then I started going down, like later on, I started going like the Anthony McFarlane's, the Marlon Max of the world, like Devontae Freeman, just to, like in my case, like I'm in, I'm almost calling that modified, like zero RB in a way, like get, get your one, you know, landmark flagship back. And I'm always someone who seems to like, punt on running back two and, and de-emphasize that as my most important position and then try a spaghetti strategy at that. Is, is that something that you think is, I guess, a common? And then I'll, I'll, my second part after we talk about like the quote unquote modified running, you know, modified zero RB strategy, then I have some specific questions about zero RB in an RSO lens. So there are a variety of different ways to look at it. We talk a lot about sort of this single elite running back approach where, you know, you draft your, your big stud in the first round and then maybe take six, seven, eight wide receivers and accomplish a lot of the same things. I don't think the first round is the only place you can do it. The first round and some of those very top guys is probably the sort of safest and highest upside place to do it. But one of the things I always talk about is if you have a guy that you like, don't let your strategy or your in-draft tactics move you off of him. I mean, draft the players that you want to draft and understand sort of structurally what you need to do around that. So if someone wants to take a running back in round three or round four, I mean, they, they have their guy. I mean, maybe someone thinks Jonathan Taylor is going to have a rookie season that most people are, are, are now giving to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. If you want, if you have someone you think could be the next Saquon Barkley and he's in the fourth round, you know, don't avoid him because he's there as opposed to in the first round. I mean, you're going to take that discount instead. So definitely you can go that route. I mean, the idea of zero running back is to, you know, get those four or five elite receivers, ideally get that elite tight end. One of the things that we see in the roster construction score is that elite tight end is one of the very best things you can do to boost your win rates. And then, you know, try and hit on some, some running backs later. I've had good success in both redraft high stakes, best ball, you know, even waiting outside the first 10 rounds. In, the, in this year is Scott Fishbowl, as you mentioned, because of the specific format, I did take Drew Brees in the first round. We'll, we'll see if he's as good for that format as it seems like if he can hang on in 2020. And then took, I think, either three or four tight ends and then took four wide receivers. And it wasn't double digit rounds when I got my first running back. I was kind of hoping that would end up being the last one. But at least the last time I checked, uh, another former Rotoviz writer, Anthony Amico, had taken yeah. One after that as his first. So again, we, we see this sort of road of his uh, influence in, in terms of zero running back there. But yeah, there are a lot of different ways to play it. And I think that, you know, you want to understand what the format that you're in, how does it lend itself to certain structural plays? Okay. And just out of curiosity, who was that first running back you grabbed in, in the fishbowl? I think that I had, um, I had carry on Johnson and Tarek Cohen there as mm-hmm. kind of back to back in, in that range. So now, now flipping this to reality sports online, and, I, and I'm guessing if, you know, and, and let's talk startup here because a lot of time you're getting your running backs in rookie drafts or, or other things. So if, you're, if you're, you're day one as an RSO GM, you're heading into your first auction and, you know, experience in the next week or two or whatever, and, you know, there's assuming no bad news coming out of training camp in any direction from injury perspective. If you were taking the zero RB strategy, what types of running backs would would be the first ones that you would be going after this for? Like last year, it's probably easy to say that someone taking taking like an Austin Eckler type or or maybe like Marlon Mack or, or like those types of guys maybe would be that strategy. I, my guess is, you know, 
in a lens based, you know, it's been a little bit since you played RSO, like the McCaffrey's and Barclays of the world in a startup are going for $40 million a year. I, I think at this point, like based on landing spot and everything else, that CH and Taylor are probably going towards 30 million a year. Then you start, you start going down a little bit from there based on situations. And then you'll have guys, I, I would, I would say a guy like Eckler is probably around what, what would you say? 18 or 20 this point uh i would still say higher i mean he's still higher regarded as okay. a top five because of, yeah. of a target guy yeah but okay and then you know if you're if you're if you're centering around some cheaper guys like if you're trying to sneak someone at 10 or 11 million dollars i guess i i'm not sure who maybe that would be like a ronald jones or david montgomery maybe luke so that i mean that's some context i guess but like what would what would zero rb look like in you know a startup for you in 2020 so as you mentioned, you're probably going to be trying to hit on those running backs in the rookie draft, get those good contracts, have some guys who are going to increase in trade value. Some con- so you're going to get the production from them. You're also going to get that trade value to where those contracts are so valuable that they can really shift around the quality of your team. You know, one of the things that we talked about right before the show started was this idea of you've got to be ready, right, in RSO. You've got to be ready to, to pull the trigger, make sure that you're bidding, make sure you're aware of what's going on. Those very top guys, you know, like we talked about, you want to make sure that if somebody else gets them, that at least they paid enough. And so even if you go in thinking, okay, I'm going to do this, you're running back, you want to make sure that you're in on Christian McCaffrey, that you're in on Barkley, that you're in on Kamara, that you're in on Cook. And you know, you can look at it as price enforcing. And then if the market doesn't go up to where it should have been, then you end up with this great deal. So you, you've got to be prepared to, to really bid and to push on that and make sure those prices do go up to where you expect them to go, especially if some of those guys are the first contracts that come up. In terms of the players that I would be targeting, you know, I mentioned Johnson. I think that Matt Breida, Philip Lindsay, Tony Pollard, uh, DeAndre Washington, Benny Snell, those are some guys at sort of different price levels that I think you have this real possibility of a breakout or an emergence, a change in value this year, which then also contributes to a change in value going forward. And so if you have the right contract structure, you could hold on to them for a year or two, again, get that value and have that trade value then that increases and really allows you to do some creative things with your roster. You recently released an article just yesterday, in fact, on August 11th, about the Washington backfield. And I would point a lot of people to Rotoviz and, and to read your writing in general, but this, this article piqued my interest in particular. Without giving the specifics of the article, I'd like you to talk about that backfield and the price points that you'd, you'd prefer to target the, the kind of the last men standing in the Washington backfield at this point. Like where, how much are you out of your $198 million cap and who are you willing to give longer term contracts to? I think none of us are tossing those at uh, the elder statesmen of that group, but but certainly there's some other guys that are intriguing. Yeah, so when you're looking there at Antonio Gibson and Bryce Love, one is gonna be much more expensive. And Gibson is one of these guys where he actually did have a thousand yard season last year. I always look at him and I'm nervous because these guys who come in with the fanfare of having created the big plays of being big athletic, but maybe they don't have the experience at the position they're going to play. I might be more interested, even though there's a much clearer path to touches now in Washington than what Lynn Bowden has with the Raiders. I might be more interested in someone like that who at least has a little bit more experience running the ball, even if it's from the quarterback position. 
In terms of these depth charts, and I think the depth charts for zero running back are very interesting when there's a lot of confusion or when we just really don't know what's going to happen. And then I like to look and see, well, who has been productive, who has the athleticism, and the price is going to be minimal, right? So we look at Bryce Love. We know what he did in 2017. One of the things I talked about in the article is just really how closely he comps to Jamal Charles and Chris Johnson, because I think that people sometimes lose track of the fact that these smaller extremely fast running backs, there is plenty of history of those guys going off for massive fantasy seasons. And, and certainly if you've owned those guys, then, then you know they're very near and dear to your heart. And so even though Bryce Love is almost certainly not going to be them, you know, even before this latest string of injuries, the way that he played his senior year, you know, raises all kinds of questions about what his NFL future would be like. But when we're looking at someone who has great character and who is now into a depth chart where you know there's there's really nothing there like you said i mean you're not going to give those contracts to the older guys and so i think the question that you have in a contract league and especially in the rso format where you're looking at a limited number of long-term contracts or multi-year contracts is as the draft goes along or as the auction goes along where are the best values there because if you use your multi-year contracts for you know real you know, Hail Mary types of players, then yeah, I mean, you could hit and then suddenly, you know, you have these guys locked up for a long time on, on basically no money at all, but you probably want to have your stud peak wide receivers on those contracts. You know, one of the things that you guys have done that, that makes the format pretty exciting are some of the options to, you know, have a contract and do some contract extensions. And so I'd be looking at trying to make some moves like that uh, with, a guy like Love, you know, if he if he ends up paying off. Very good. So keep it shorter, but but leave yourself the flexibility to gamble on him should things go well in the Washington backfield. Hey, all about reality, listeners. Are you in the market for top tier strategy analysis and projections for the best football analysts in the industry? Well, if you haven't seen John Hansen, the fantasy guru, has launched a new venture alongside industry powerhouses Graham Barfield, Joe Dolan, Scott Barrett, and Tom Brawley fantasypoints.com. They have contributions from NFL Films legend Greg Cosell, NFL insider Adam Kaplan, and former Super Bowl champ and orthopedic surgeon Dr. Mark Addix. The team at Fantasy Points will deliver everything you need for season-long fantasy football, daily fantasy, and NFL betting. Read their content, listen to their podcasts, watch their live stream, use their draft tool and downloads, but most importantly, go sign up with the promo code REALITY, all capitals, for 10% off. That's promo code Reality, R-E-A-L-I-T-Y, for 10% off the newest and best site in the fantasy football industry. FantasyPoints.com, the best place to help you score more fantasy points. It's interesting, one of the the funnier and uh, more fascinating moves in the Writers League offseason. So here are analysts writing about RSO. And one of our owners cut TJ Hawkinson in the off season and Goody and I can speak to this. And, you know, I think a frustration cut based on how last year went. And it was funny because I think a lot of owners in the back of our mind thought like, Oh, that's cool. I'll save a long-term contract and go after him at auction. It certainly played out that way because he got real pricey very quick. And I alluded to him in the show sheet for you here. TJ Hawkinson ended up securing a four year, $10 million per year contract over the life of the contract, which puts him in the top six in terms of contract value in our league. So at that point, does it go from being 
locking up a young tentpole, potentially explosive tight end that may be one of these elite ones that you just alluded to that can provide a competitive advantage. At that point, are you spending too much on a gamble, do you think? Uh, looking at this, I, I was pretty excited about that contract. I think that it, it is interesting in terms of price. When we're looking at Hawkinson and you're looking at a contract league, then you know a top five contract, I don't think that's necessarily too much. The only two guys you would definitely prefer would be Kittle and Andrews. And then on a shorter contract, you would spend more, obviously, on Kelsey, Ertz, possibly Waller. But then once you start to go out a little bit, I and mean, we're looking at Hawkinson as being perhaps Kittle at or, or even Kelsey, someone who is in even a more you know, pass-oriented type of offense and is very, very young. I think that the, the crazy thing with Hawkinson, the difficult thing to decide which way you want to go, is that there are a few players in the NFL with quite that wide a potential range of outcomes because you look at what he came in as, top 10 pick, you know, great numbers in terms of the different advanced stats that we like, you know, good comps in the box score scout, all of those types of things. Then he comes out and has basically a historically good a week one game, but then it's brutal the rest of the way. And you have all different types of injuries, injuries that really are fairly concerning. And then, you know, he's on the virus list and, and things like that to start out training camp. So fortunately, all of those lions are coming off of that. We don't know if there will be any consequences for any of those guys long-term. You know, Hawkinson could be one of those players like an Evan Ingram who is very, very frustrating and maybe he's even almost done before he starts. At the same time, if we were going to pick one just breakout superstar from the young tight ends right now, it would be that guy. And my personal philosophy for the fantasy football is to, you know, try and make sure that we get some exposure there. The, the problem, I think, now I own Hawkinson a lot, both in dynasty and contract and in redraft. But once you have a top five contract, then a lot of the upside is, is already priced in. And so really what we ideally would do would be to try and get him, you know, through a trade, someone trading a contract as opposed to cutting a contract. But yeah, once someone like that gets on the market, you definitely have to go after him. I think that's great advice. And I think Goody and I, we both implicitly and explicitly have talked about Hawkinson to one another in the offseason uh, when that cut happened. And then, but we would recommend that to our, our, to our SOGMs out there. I think you can go get Hawkinson for a reasonable price in trade right now. And he potentially has a lot more upside than a lot of guys that if you're just coughing up a second round draft pick for him, you're potentially getting a, a much higher payoff relative to the win rate in your league or something. So Goody, how about, I mean, we, we haven't really talked about this, but I, I think I read the room, right? You and I were both in on him for a minute. So we both clearly had the same idea. And then we were like, Mike and me getting a little steep. But as Sean said earlier, there were times where we both executed well on our game plan and times where we backed off guys we really liked. Is Hawkinson an instance of you backing off someone you wish you had stayed in on? Or did you, did you back off at the right time, do you think? Because I, I feel like I might have backed off early on him, to be honest. So. I did back off, I think, a little early on him as well. I, I think that I'm just super confident in Mike Kosicki and that I have him on a, a pretty cheap deal. So I knew I was going to grab another tight end who I thought would be useful to me. And I did that with Jack Doyle. And I think I just paid him like a one year, $10 million deal. I think Gronk was still available. So I was just kind of looking at like a Gronk or a Doyle, you know, especially just being a Philip Rivers tight end. I, I felt like that would be good for business basically. But I, I really did like Hawkinson. I, I mean, I certainly would have traded something of, of, you know, some type of asset of value to the GM who, you know, gave up on him pretty quickly you know in the off season and and I think that's always like before your piece of advice for you are so GMs is like 
sometimes you can just give a player away and not have to eat the, the dead cap or anything else, or you may get assets for it. Always start with the, the point of asking for assets and then work your way down if someone says, oh, I'll just take the contract from you. That's still a real trade in, in a reality sports online league. And I think that sometimes, you know, I, I think we've talked about this like ad nauseum on different podcasts, but like, and I think it, like we hammered it a lot with Jake Seeley when he was on is just get these you get so frustrated with some of these players who don't perform for you when you, when there's expectations that what do you do with that? And you can't really give up on a guy after year one, especially when injuries are in play. So, um, I, I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm sure some people, you know, based on last Friday would have been like, yeah, sure. I would have loved to have given up on, you know, the guy from Washington backfield after year one and save some heartache, but um, so it, it ebbs and flows. Yeah, Sean, on a kind of a change of pace here, I've wondered about this as I've had these like imaginary debates with you in my head. Are you a, are you a contrarian guy in real life? Are you the kind of guy that is like a hipster standing outside the Springsteen concert saying that you, uh, he's, you know, he's a little overrated and things like that? Is, that? is that your disposition towards life? I wouldn't say that necessarily. I, I think that, you know, ideally we want to be, I prefer to look at it as, as evidence-based as opposed to contrarian. Obviously that's in the Twitter that I no longer use. But, you know, life is, is so tricky. And I mean, there's so much to know. There's so little time to know it. You know, we also get this just constant deluge of misinformation, some of which is intentional, but a lot of which is just people trying to point us in the right direction who've misinterpreted, you know, what they might call the source material that they're passing along. And so I think that, you know, one of the things that we're really looking to do is just try and understand the structures, the, the formats, the, the different environments in which we're participating, whether it's fantasy football, life, that kind of thing. I think the other thing is just, you know, trying to understand probabilities and thinking about tactics. You know, you can take that in terms of different types of fantasy contests, or, you know, it could be sports you play recreationally, it could be investing, your personal finances, you know, simple little things, or not, not necessarily simple things, but, but interesting concepts like, you know, when you might prefer a high variance result versus when you might prefer you know, more of a low variance type of outcome, how you can take the constraints of any given system and sort of develop a strategy that gives you a competitive advantage there. And so I think that just trying to be thoughtful and being willing to look at things in a different way, not necessarily to push back against people and to tell people that they're wrong or to take a different you know, opinion or different uh, angle on things just for the heck of it, but that if we continue to, to look at things and ask questions, then we can come to some different conclusions or we can develop some different understandings that maybe we wouldn't have had if we were just following along and, and asking the same questions that have been asked before that other people are asking. Yeah, the debate coach and philosophy professor in me loves uh, what you had to say there. And I think we've undersold a little bit so far on this in this conversation on Rotoviz, one of the things I like going to is just playing with the toolbox that you've made available to people, right? And there's a degree of simplicity and ease of use to kind of examine those questions that you're asking that other people that may not be as adept as some of your programmers and some of the people on site for you in terms of compiling that data, but that data is now available at the fingertips of any of us that can ask a question in a reasonably thoughtful way. Do you have a particular tool that is your favorite or that you would point people to the first time they're playing with Rotoviz or something that, that you think probably stands out both for ease of use and actionable insight? That's a hard one to answer because I, I love so many of them. We mentioned the roster construction explorers. I think that 
there are a lot of assumptions about how best ball worked that turn out not to be the case. There have been a lot of, of different projects people have done where they've tried to model how a best ball league would play out. And this isn't any sort of criticism of, of any of those uh, attempts to model or any of those different projects, because I think that's all great research. It's, it's important information to have to look at, to think about. But one of the things that we have discovered is that, I mean, and it, you know, some of this is straightforward. We know it's hard to model things. Everybody who's worked to try and put together predictive models for a wide variety of things knows that's a difficult task. But a lot of those models just aren't, aren't correct. Best ball is being played incorrectly. And right now in the fantasy community, there are so many fantastic experts, analysts, different people working you know, in the industry. And people are very good at fantasy football now. And they're are there are still small edges you can get and and definitely in a contract league like RSL I mean there are lots of different edges that you can put together but but people are so good at fantasy football now and yet best ball isn't being played right there there are lots of different things you can do to beat your best ball league and the fact that the roster construction explorer helps you find those uh, I think is really cool we have lots of really great stuff when people go in they look at the team splits app they look at the game splits app you can see how different people perform in different situations the NFL Stat Explorer has you know, basically every stat that you could think of and want to have in a visual format that lets you kind of understand, you know, how these guys are transitioning through their careers, how they compare to other people. One of my personal favorites is the Win the Flex tool because it shows how many points you're giving up when you're drafting running backs. And so, you know, right back there on brand in terms of, of how you should put your teams together, you know, when you can see it visually like that, and, you know, we, it is true that running backs are creating a lot of the top win rates. You know, you look at those players who then go on to the next year to be drafted in top five. Those are important players to be on your rosters. Nobody's saying that, oh, if you draft Christian McCaffrey, you're going to lose because of that. I mean, that would be absurd. But we do want to understand the way in which drafting a bunch of running backs is just creating a lot of downside for you. And so the Win the Flex tool, really cool with that. Also, our range of outcomes tool, which is a sort of a sim score kind of tool, uh, historical matches and looking at players who are similar, what they've done in the future. That's another tool that, number one, is just great on its own. And then also kind of shows you how, like when you're looking at the flex position in your league, you really want a wide receiver. It's very stark how many points you're giving up if you're trying to play running backs there. Yeah, the... The last thing to that end and, and whether or not these tools could help me sort one of these debates, when you say best ball is being played incorrectly, I think of that as a, an infrequent best ball player, but as a, a much more avid contract league player in RSO. I think whenever I listen to all these really great analysts and bright minds across our industry, when, when they make that now cliched throwaway comment, this receiver would be better in best ball or this receiver is explosive. Goody and Sean, I wanted to get your, because I've never asked you this question, Goody, and Sean, I want to hear from you too. What do you think people mean? Or are they, do they, do they, are they saying what they think they mean when they say this wide receiver is explosive? Like when they're saying that he's better for best ball, are they saying that he's more likely to achieve a long, a single long distance play with each, uh, which either, which, with each successful play? Are they saying he's more likely to just win a week? And if so, like, are we, are we not exploiting the correct advantage? Is it really true that someone like uh, Hollywood Brown or Will Fuller are demonstrably better in best ball than, than they would be in a season long or dynasty format? 
So, Goody, why don't you start me off, and then we'll hear what Sean has to say about that with the with the rotors. Sure. I mean, and, my my perspective is, and we've talked about this, I think, in roster construction before. So I'm super comfortable repeating myself for our so GMs and the new ones who hop on from. You know, I just talked to some dudes from Costa Rica the other day of a fantasy football podcast. So like, Pura Vida, man. Pura yeah, exactly. Pura. So like, and and that's like where. It, a lot of leagues that I construct for reality sports online typically start three receivers and then have a decent amount of flex positions. So receiver, my receiver one, I want them to be a, a target hog, like intermediate routes and like ability to stretch the field on occasion. Like my, my receiver two, I typically want to be, you know, kind of almost similar to my receiver one. And my receiver three is somebody that I want to be, you know, a dynamic, explosive guy. I definitely think someone like Will Fuller fits that description, Hollywood Brown. I, I mean, I think like, you know, at a cheaper end, like probably, and in, in, Sean, I read your article about like the third year breakout receivers and, and start thinking about like the Christian Kirks of the world. And I don't know if John Ross is a third year, but Anthony Miller, like, James Washington. So like, I am curious what you think, what some context on those, but yeah, I, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And I think those guys are better for best ball because they're, they're high variance. And, and in some cases, those guys, you know, because they have a speed element to their game, they're more susceptible to soft tissue injuries. Like, you know, Will, Will Fuller has had, or, you know, like the guys on the Eagles or, or whatnot. All right, Sean. So tell me, what am I thinking through this correctly, or should I adjust the premises of my question? Yeah, yeah it's it's a tricky and interesting question, I think. And um, we had Michael Dubner did some great research on this recently for the site and was looking at how explosive players factored in to best ball. And he looked at it through the lens of what he called functional fantasy points, this ability for uh, some of these explosive players to have the big games to where when they're in your lineup, they're actually giving you a lot more points than a different type of player might because they have that sort of deep threat ability to where when they do play or the when they do score, that it's going to be a long touchdown, maybe a couple of long touchdowns in the case of Fuller and all those points go into your starting lineup and it really benefits you. So the thing that he found, and I think this, again, fits with what most people believe, is that there is a relationship there where the guys who are, say, more inconsistent, have the higher variance outcomes, do give a little bit more value in terms of win rate in best ball than a similar player with a similar point total who doesn't have that. At the same time, those players are overdrafted in best ball by more than the advantage they get. And so it comes back to us where we want to be really concerned about price, really aware of price. And if we are moving those guys up our board too far, then we're not just giving away the advantage, but we're actually hurting our team. Uh, that's one element that I think is interesting. Another element that is kind of interesting in terms of looking at it for best ball and what the roster construction explorer can tell us is that when you load up on a lot of those guys late, it, it, still leads to sort of losing rosters. You really want to have the vast majority of your receivers in those first 10 rounds. And I think that that's an idea that a lot of people aren't maybe don't believe or aren't that comfortable with. And one of the things that I think that that tells us is that if these sort of inconsistent, maybe low target, but deep threat receivers are difficult in terms of how much value they give us in best ball, it's even more difficult in terms of redraft because in redraft, obviously you have to pick, you know, when you're going to start those guys. 
That's so well said. And the last thing that I want to get from you, and I'll, I'll leave any more joy and fun to Goody if he wants to pick, it, pick your brain on it, is one of the most fascinating quotes of the offseason that's just been bouncing around my head in, in the article that you referenced earlier, I think, or maybe it was you on a podcast, when you, when you suggested that if wide receiver is deep this season, then running back is bottomless. And off the top of my head, I just rattle through all the guys that are popping in analysts' uh, evaluations, the Deontay Johnsons and Christian Kirks and Will Fullers and even Brandon Cooks moving teams. And there's a lot of guys that you can get relatively cheaply or at a discount relative to what they've been in the past. And it just seems to me that I, like, I am precisely the guy you just spoke about. I'm like, I can get, I can chase those guys later in drafts. But your conception has forced me to reconsider that as, as I've seen how that played out in drafts. Like, like your conception that running back is bottomless fascinates me. So can you, can you speak to that a little bit and, and what you mean by that? Yeah, so there, there are a couple of different elements here. You mentioned all of those guys who are, you know, very good wide receivers, you know, rounds three, four, five, very deep, very loaded. This might be the best season ever. I mean, it, that may be an exaggeration or hyperbole, but if, if you go and look at the guys who are second year players and the jumps that they could take, you know, we have a lot of, of articles on the site discussing how if you're not loading up on second year wide receivers, then you're giving up one of the biggest edges in fantasy football. And this is a year that's great for it because you have so many of those guys who could break out. You mentioned Johnson. I mean, Darius Slayton, someone who uh, is relatively inexpensive and could end up, I think, being the real star of that Giants team, for example. And he's not even someone that I end up getting. I, I usually miss out on him just by, you know, three or four picks in the drafts that I do. But then when we see people in a lot of these leagues drafting the way that you need to draft to have enough wide receivers, then you know, it can get late early in terms of where that actually falls off. And so if you're in a, a two running back, three wide receiver, one flex league, and you really need to start four wide receivers, then we're talking about having four guys for starters. We need a player in there probably to, to factor in for maybe somebody does get hurt. And then we want to dominate the bye weeks, right? And so we need an extra guy there. So when our guys are out in the buys, that we can still be really hammering our opponents. That gets you up to like six really good wide receivers. And the leagues are not deep enough for that. Whereas if you then look at who these running backs are that you can get in round 10, round 11, round 12, I, I think this is one of the most fun draft seasons that we've ever had. And I'm hoping that the NFL does play because if, if you look at all of these rookie running backs who were drafted this season, we, we tend to think in terms of the wide receivers, but this was a, a very high number of running backs taken in the first 100 picks as well. One of the articles that I looked at, and you know, you mentioned the tools, our Dynasty ADP tool lets you look back for numerous seasons. And I wrote an article recently talking about how when a top 100 running back is drafted over an incumbent, then the incumbent's dynasty value collapses. And not just that it, it goes down, which we would expect. You've got more competition and you've got a top 100 pick in there, but it goes down very quickly. And one of the things that that tells us is that those guys produce earlier than maybe we think. And so you're looking at a lot of committee backfields this season where the number two guy can be a real value, could really emerge and be a league winner in the playoffs. And, you know, Blair was just talking with me again the other day about some of the work that he's done in our best ball explorer, which gives you all kinds of different win rates and you can stack in different uh, players together and looking at with a lot of these stacks, the running back two is a great player to stack in 
to roster. So again, you're looking at sort of the second guy in, in a committee having a very good win rate. A lot of things kind of pointing us in the direction of we want to make sure we have those wide receivers so that we can pivot to some of these exciting running backs late. Very cool. I've enjoyed every minute of it. I certainly uh, thank you. Now I have an actual human voice in my head when I'm having the arguments with your with your positions. And I do appreciate the way you ask the questions and, and that they are so analysis driven. I, I love, and this is what I said to Goody when I asked him if we could get you on the program. I was like, listen, Rotoviz is so contrarian and so kind of antithetical to the way that I approach fantasy. But it's one of the few places that I pay for and like go for analysis because I want to be challenged on my positions and, and forced to re-examine that. And I think you certainly have lived up to that. So thank you, Sean, for coming on and doing that. Goody, what do you got? Yeah, no, I mean, with, it's interesting because you mentioned the contrarian stuff, but it's it's not hot takey. There's logic no, and then all no, of a sudden yeah. you, you see like how the strategies can work. And, and I, I mean, I've always liked the Rotovis tools, especially like the in and out splits. Like when I was writing a number fire, I tried to get get into that data as much as as much as I could because I just thought it's, it's valuable info. I mean, when you talk about the quote of bottomless, I don't know why I just think of bottomless fries at Red Robin, which who's going to restaurants these days. So like. Like, forget about bottomless fries but yeah no it's 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 interesting to, like all, all that's pretty interesting to me and I, I guess my my final question for you is really can you just um you've done a series of articles for rotoviz called the discount series and and i, I think that obviously like you're modeling at, after where can you get players who may produce like an austin eckler or an alan robinson or robert woods or a montgomery like at you know, a, a lower price. And I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about those articles. And then the, uh, we had a listener question from at dvic89, who said, what player outside the top 100 in ADP is worthy of a four-year reality sports online contract? So, I, I mean, I have, an, I have a potential answer for that, but I kind of gave you a lot there. So I will defer to you. Yeah, so thanks for bringing up the discount series. It's one of those that is a lot of fun. And we, we talk a lot about tact tactics. We like to look a lot at what has happened in the past and make sure that we're aware of and calibrating our expectations correctly. Uh, I appreciate you guys saying such nice things about the site. One of the things that we do do and it's sort of our main emphasis that we work with on all of our writers is it, that it's evidence-based. I mean, that's sort of the, the main mantra or, or just sort of the thesis that we have for, for what we want to do is evidence-based research. A lot of times, if that does come out with some controversial claims, then that can be fun. I mean, that draws some traffic, but it is the evidence that we're, we're really trying to, to work with there. The discount series kind of goes back almost, I mean, Court Smith did an excellent uh, series like this for a couple of seasons. Uh, Frank, our, our creator, uh, who no longer is with the site, but obviously still one of the legends, I think, in the fantasy community. I mean, he was always building the tools and thinking in terms of how can we get the same types of production, the same types of profiles later, and to be very price aware as we're going through our drafts. And so I've been looking at guys, sometimes guys I like, like a Will Fuller, sometimes players that I think there's a good argument for, like an Allen Robinson or a Marvin Jones, but maybe I'm not drafting and then explain how I could get that production for a lot lower price and go through the different tools, explain you know, what their profiles are in the first place, and then who we might get. One of the things that I have used in those articles is, again, our range of outcomes tool, which does the SIM scores, which has the historical projections. And one of the things that's kind of fun is when you go through and you find guys who have the same sort of low, median, and high projection, but they're at very different parts of the draft. 
Now, sometimes that's because they have different situations and the tool is not built to say, okay, well, you know, this, you know, Mel Melvin Gordon is coming in to the Broncos. Obviously when we see Philip Lindsay's projection, we have to understand that his situation has changed and factor those things in. But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes there just appears to be a very real value and we want to make sure we really attack some of those types of guys. And so uh, it, it's been a fun series and, and one of the ones that the readers do enjoy. I guess I have to leave you, you know, on that outside the top 100 question and, you know, who's kind of, the guy that we seem to be writing an article about, you know, once or twice a week even is Nicole Hardman. And as a Chiefs fan, you know, I, I have to mention him again. I mean, Blair had a great article in his The Wrong Read series that people aren't familiar with Blair, definitely check him out. But talking about how sort of this exploitable relationship between age and targets or experience and targets and target share. And players who are 21 years old, score 100 points and you know, play in the next season, they have a 10% win rate, right? And there aren't necessarily a ton of them, but we know that these guys who come into the NFL young and produce right away, that their upside is not correctly factored into the price the following year. Now, Hardman is a guy who, in the drafts that I tend to do, I mean, he goes fairly early, but his ADP is still in a range where there might be some more upside there. And if you look at what can happen with the Chiefs, now the, the problem with the Chiefs is just all their players tend to get very expensive because we do know they're going to score points and everybody is on them. But Hardman, a player where if things broke correctly, I'm not saying that he's going to be Tyreek Hill or he's going to score at the same level of Tyreek Hill. But the gap between those two guys could end up being a lot less than what ADP says. If you're in a situation where you're drafting a running back in the first round, or simply, you know, you can't get to Tyreek Hill or he's not your guy, I mean, Hardman is someone you definitely want to have on your roster. Way to tie that all together, right? We end on a player that most would characterize as explosive. Your chief fandom bubbles to the top, and you get to give us the analysis behind it, alluding to the age and, and breakout metrics. Sean, throat of his... Uh, your credit to their to their service, your credit to to our industry, and and again, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Super appreciate you coming on. If our RSO GMs want to go looking for you, you're one of the few denizens of our community that don't like hang out on Twitter all the time. So where where should they go for your work? Yeah, just rotaviz.com and also have a, a podcast. My co-host Colin Kelly does a fantastic job. Rotaviz Overtime. We've had some cool guests. We've had some really good discussions on there, I think. So that's a fun place if you don't want to pay for the site, but you know, we love it there and, and not being on Twitter means that you actually do need to come to the site to get, to get the information. So, you know, maybe that's a, a small benefit of that. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. It was absolutely fantastic. And your listeners already know this, obviously, but if you've got your normal leagues wired already in fantasy football, you're looking for a challenge, you're looking for something creative and fun, you know, there's no better way to do it than with an auction contract league. Auctions are the best. You know, make sure you play that. Very good. So, Goody, where can they go chase you down in these final weeks before their drafts? Right. Um, I'm going to get a little answer into the Twitter question, too. I'm, I'm liking Preston Williams. I still think he's relatively cheap in Rally Sports Online um, just coming off the injury, and, and I don't think there's a, a ton of target competition there and I saw him make a nice one-handed catch today on Twitter so no um if he could stay out of trouble I think he he could be pretty good so um you can find me on Twitter at Matt Goody too um we got a lot a lot of auctions coming up you got the you know the pod guest league coming up Luke that you're you're gonna participate in and I'll do the play-by-play -play. And, and we got our podcast league tomorrow night I don't have much cap space not sure about you 
Um, so it'll be probably a, a quiet night for me. But um, yeah, no, we were super excited to have you, Sean. And Luke, where, where can we find you guys? At fantasy.goc. Yeah, I'll be detailing the exploits of the remainder of the offseason. We'll keep bringing you great content and, and pointing you to good content at places like Rotoviz and Sean's. And we'll continue to do our best to serve you as com- the RSO community. This has been another episode of All About Reality. Yeah.